Stats in a Wrap, the new podcast series from Eurostat. Gerade in der heutigen Zeit nicht einfach für junge Menschen das zu tun. Things like mathematics can be quite essential for work. I think it's not easy to find a job today. Welcome to another episode of Stats in a Wrap, the podcast series from Eurostat, the statistical office of the European Union. With this podcast series, we want to immerse ourselves in the world of statistical data by wrapping them into small packages, intriguing stories and fascinating conversations about the everyday and not so everyday that we experience in our lives. No topic is too obscure or too obvious. I'm Jonathan Elliott, your host for this episode. Now this year, 2022, is the European Year of Youth. And today, we're going to focus on the world of work for young people and the effects that the COVID pandemic has had and continues to have on it. The transition from school to work can sometimes be complicated. A teenager getting an internship or work experience or a Saturday job is one of life's rites of passage. But when young people need to support themselves and get their careers underway, the early years of work can be daunting, lonely even, and prone to pitfalls. There is even a whole area of academic scholarship dedicated to studying the transition to work. The pandemic has made that transition even more tricky, and I want to know how the world has changed for young people aged 15 to 29. Fortunately, I have a couple of people here with me today who are excellently placed to tell me. Neil O'Higgins, Senior Economist from the International Labour Organization. Hello. And Anna Emilia Martino, a statistician with an expertise in labour and education. And she's from Eurostat. Hi, happy to be here with you. So, welcome both. I'm very glad to have you here today. Um, I'm just going to kick off with our informal icebreaker question, which is about our individual first experiences of work and paid employment. Um, Neil, let me dive in with you. What was your first ever job? And um, tell us about it. Um, my first job was when I was completing my doctorate in, in Florence. I got a job in uh, teaching on a master's course in Naples. I began my career as an academic and it was in Italy and in Italy the entry to the labour market now as it was back then is quite long and tortuous and indeed it was quite a long and tortuous process before I actually got a permanent job. Okay Anna what about you what was your first ever job can you remember? Yes well I changed so many jobs but uh, one of the the first jobs uh, was at uh, university. I was uh, in education and I had a part-time job in a marketing company as a tele-interviewer. Well, obviously, I have to talk about my first time in employment and I feel very humiliated now because you had such prestigious and august first employments. My, uh, I'm, But I'm, I think I'm setting the bar slightly higher for me. It's the first paid employment, first earn, earning money I ever did was um, working on the uh, bar, the Pims and Champagne bar of the Wimbledon tennis finals. And um, uh, I didn't see any tennis and I didn't drink any Pims or Champagne. Um, I didn't earn very much money, but I did learn to spot the heavy tippers. Um, let's just talk about the uh, subject today, which is about youth unemployment. The, the age group we're talking about here is 15 to 29. And um, Eurostat, 
and others divide these into six different groups of people. And we can imagine them as students and non-students and people with jobs and people who are not in the workforce at all. Anna, perhaps you could just start off and set out for us what those different categories are. By following the International Labour Organization's guidelines, labour force classifies people in three main groups, in the employed, unemployed and outside labour force. The employed people are defined as those that have worked at least an hour in a reference week or being temporarily absent from work during that week. Unemployed are those who are available to work and actively looking for a job. Instead, people outside the labor force are everybody else. For young people, education plays a major role. So we have split each of the mentioned three groups in other two with those participating in formal education and those not. The outside labor force are at school or at university, while most employed and unemployed young people are not attending formal education. It's not necessarily a necessity to have great education to get into work. I think as long as you have a basic um, level of understanding in whether it be your, your native language or the language which country you're going to be working in understands. Um, and I think things like mathematics can be quite essential for work, but you don't necessarily have to go into higher education such as university. Should we just talk a bit about what the employment picture was like for people who were transitioning from education into work in these different categories. And um, let's just ask you, Neil, for start with, what were the kinds of opportunities and challenges that faced young people in the years running up to the pandemic? What was the picture like? Uh, I mean, it's a very general question, but just, just set out the picture for us. Um, before COVID hit, what we saw in the labour market generally in, in Europe is that the process of entry in, into the labour market, into employment of young people was getting longer and the types of jobs available to young people was getting less secure, let's say more temporary work. The, the, the whole process of the school to work transition was tending to get uh, so, somewhat longer and there was uh, this was also uh, influenced by trends in digitalization, which on the one hand makes for a much more flexible labor force, but at the same time uh, creates much less secure employment opportunities for young people. And young people are heavily engaged in these types of work. So what we saw, the big trend, and of course there's a lot of variation across countries, but, but there was a generally, let's say, less secure and longer process uh, uh, involving the school-to-work transition already before COVID hit. That's fascinating. Um, I, I, this is an age group we'll be coming to repeatedly. Um, they're looking to get more experience, to build their CV and to get more traction, make themselves more useful in the workforce and the labour market. Um, and yet this launch project, if we can call it that, can be exploited. And there's a fine line between people getting a few little jobs here and there, which will hopefully turn into something more solid, and young people who are simply being exploited and used as expendable workers, if you like. Uh, Anna, could you tell us uh, a little bit about what the picture was like for our six categories in the run-up to COVID? Okay, before COVID, uh, from 2009 and until 2019, youth employment has increased over the years. There have been minor fluctuations but some of these have been seasonal, linked to the end of school year and the start of summer jobs or more permanent jobs. 
So in this decade, the employment rate has even more increased for young people in education than for young people not in education. Well, it has been a, a slow trend, but it has been constant. So uh, we have seen this increase. On the other hand, the long trend youth unemployment has seen a, a slow decrease in spite of some fluctuations, both for young people in education and not in education. This is an important and interesting trend to discuss before we go into the kind of COVID era, which is that things were gradually improving thanks to policies like the youth guarantee. And... Um, Neil, I'm going to ask you just to explain to us a little bit about the youth guarantee. But one thing that I just need to kind of unpack slightly is that from my youth, I remember that youth unemployment was a huge social issue back in the 1980s, mass unemployment. There was a kind of real anxiety about young people, um, in particular, not getting into the workforce enough. Can you just explain that little backdrop for us first, Neil, and then go on to talk a little bit about the youth guarantee? Yes, indeed. In in the the end of the 1970s, beginning of 1980s, there was a lot of, in Europe, and in the, I remember from my personal experience in the UK, uh, there was a, a lot of unrest, let's say, amongst young people uh, expressed, uh, and the urgency of doing something about youth unemployment became a more pressing issue at a political level. Uh, and there was a big emphasis on introducing policies to ease the the transition into work for young people. One element of that was the increasingly introduction of temporary contracts for young people, but also there was a more active involvement in terms of the development of active labour market policies for young people, uh, things like the training scheme in the UK. Uh, and in many other countries, this became a, a, a big there was a big focus of active labour market programmes on the young on on uh, supporting the entry of young people in providing training, providing subsidised employment and so on to, to young people to ease their transition. Um, there was also, later on, there was also expansion of things like internships and um, and after the global financial and economic crisis in 2008-2009, um, at the European level, there was this recognition that something seriously needed to be done to deal with the surge in youth unemployment which accompanied the previous global recession, uh, the Great Recession as, as it was then called. And in 2013, to, uh, the Youth Guarantee was introduced and in 2014 actually implemented across the European continent and this involved guaranteeing young people who had been neither in employment nor in education, that is, either unemployed or inactive in the labour force, but not in education, guaranteed them some sort of opportunity, either an educational place or subsidised employment or training or an internship. Absolutely. So this is a critically important term which will uh, come across repeatedly um, on this podcast. Um, the so-called NEAT um, which is the acronym for an especially vulnerable group of young people who are not in education, employment or training. And more than others, they're uh, more prone to longer term unemployment, but also particularly mental unwellness. Um, and I think, Neil, you've, you've been observing this as a particular feature, haven't you? Yes, indeed. And particularly since the onset of COVID, uh, where the mental health of young people have started to be monitored with some some seriousness. We've seen, particularly amongst the unemployed and particularly amongst the more generally amongst the neat, we've seen uh, a worsening of, of mental health, which has been been much stronger 
in general amongst young people uh, and much stronger as I say, amongst the neat uh, group within that. So those young people who managed to keep their jobs or who remained in, in at least attached to employment uh, have been doing much, much better. And this is quite quite different from what we saw before the, the COVID-19 pandemic. Typically, it is older workers who are more uh, subject to um, depression and feelings of exclusion and loneliness. Since COVID started to hit, uh, this has been has become a, a serious issue also amongst uh, the younger generation. But that is unfortunately unfortunately what is happening, because uh, I was in the same position that I was almost so desperate that. I was willing to kind of work for free, to prove myself, to show the people that I'm uh, a good worker and then they maybe they would want to hire me. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how um, young people get jobs and um, particularly that there's a sort of very clearly well-observed number of different categories that um, statisticians um, have uh, generated. Um, Anna, can you just talk us through us about the uh, strategies that people employ uh, to, to get jobs. One of the most typical uh, ways of looking for jobs for young people is through education or training institution internships or previous work experiences. Also job, job advertisements are more frequent method for young people. Other methods as uh, contacting friends or relatives or acquaintances or direct contacts from employers are less frequent for the young compared to the broader age group. There's a very striking map of the EU's 27 member states, and it shows how dramatically different the employment picture is for young people across the whole area, especially between Southern and Northern Europe. Anna, could you just unpack that a little for us? There are 71 million young people in Europe, corresponding to 21% of the working age population 1574. Countries with a higher share of young people are Denmark, Ireland, Cyprus, the Netherlands and Sweden, all with about 25% of young people. While countries with lowest shares of young people uh, are Bulgaria, Slovenia, Czechia, Latvia and Italy, with uh, between 18 and 20% of young people. Countries with high levels of unemployment usually have high levels of youth unemployment. Countries such as Greece, Italy, and Spain have high levels of youth unemployment, and they also have a great variability among their regions. For instance, regions in South Italy have higher youth unemployment rates compared to northern regions. France is also a country with a great variability among its regions, where the overseas islands Guadeloupe and Guyane have high unemployment rates, and instead, uh, the Loire and Brittany regions have the lowest unemployment rates. Um, I personally believe that it is education plus experience, not just education by itself, because a highly educated person can still be very like uh, bookish and not very practical and street smart. So I think it's a combination of both education as well as experience. So even in uh, my personal case, uh, even when through, throughout university, I think I must have done about like eight, nine internships while I was in university, which definitely added to my experience and which helped me get a job when I graduated. Yeah. 
Um, Anna, just tell us a little bit about what different sectors we find um, the, the age group 15 to 29. What sort of things are they going into? What sort of work are they going into? So young people are more likely than the other age groups to be working in sectors that have to do with people and the public as commerce, tourism, restoration, information and communication, arts, entertainment and recreation, and also professional, scientific and technical activities. The pandemic hit exactly the kinds of occupations and roles which are public facing and more likely to be carried out by younger people. So their jobs were most badly hit. And there's another unique feature of work for young people, uh, and that is that they find themselves in jobs which need flexible hours, weekends, night shifts, um, shift work, and all of that kind of thing. Um, Anna, could you explain a little bit more of that for us? Uh, As you mentioned before, young people have more atypical working schemes and outside normal working hours. They tend to work more at weekends and in the evenings compared to the other age groups. They're also more involved in shift work schemes. 20% of young people usually work in shift compared to 18% of people aged 15 to 74. However, young people work less hours per week compared to the other age groups. A few hours less on average, but with a greater variability. The reason for this is why uh, young people are involved also in education. So the very young are usually studying at school or at university and work less hours. We're now coming to the point in the program where, where, which is what it's all about, really, because it's about what what happened when COVID hit. And as I mentioned earlier, it's um, the European Year of Youth this year. And uh, there's a very good reason for that. And it's best summed up by the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen. And she said that the pandemic robbed young people of many opportunities to make friends and explore new cultures. And we can't give them that time back. So we propose to designate 2022 European Year of Youth. And it's important now to to look back and realise that the COVID pandemic affected all of our working lives. Um, But it certainly hit this group the hardest. Um, They have bounced back, uh, however, but that has been a very painful road for many of them. And we'll be talking about those in a minute. The first thing coming to you, Neil, really, is um, big economic um, shocks tend to hit young people hardest. Uh, Just tell us why. Uh, Young people tend to be, let's say, less attached to the labour market. So they're entering the labour market, they tend to look around, they're not sure exactly what kind of job they want to do long term. And they also have less time on the job. So when it comes to deciding what we need to, the firm decides we need to fire some people, they tend to, to release the people who hired most recently because it's cheaper to do so and there's less engagement from the firm in the young person. So young people tend to look around a bit more. They're not sure about what they want to do long term. They tend to be uh, less uh, eligible for employment protection uh, measures. Particularly the the group that was going to expecting to move into the labour force just as the pandemic hit, because there were simply no jobs for them to go into. They were walking out into a wilderness, which is very different from anything else that's happened before. Anna, can you just sort of, again, our statistician, perhaps you could just unpack for us Tell us how the different groups in our cohort, our 15 to 29, how they were affected when the pandemic hit. What what happened to the different groups? At the end of the two years of the COVID crisis, 
in the fourth quarter of 2021, those in education have recuperated their employment level pre-COVID and exceeded the pre-COVID value of 2019. Instead, those not in education were still a bit behind regarding employment. So there has been a better recovery for those in education with only one substantial decrease in employment over the COVID period. There has been an increase in their unemployment rates for both young in and out of education in the third quarter 2020, compared to pre-pandemic values of the fourth quarter 2019. This increase has been registered in the following quarter compared to the decrease in employment because due to lockdown, people did not look for jobs or were not available to work For example, care responsibilities uh, in the second quarter of 2020, or because they thought they wouldn't find a job uh, due to lockdowns. So the youngsters today are very, the main thing and the most important um, benefit that they have is that they are very technologically savvy. So I definitely agree that the youngsters, uh, I wouldn't say have it easy because at the same time they are putting an effort to make it easier for themselves and plus the world is also changing constantly. We're talking about the recovery there, but I mean, I'm also just thinking about during the actual lockdown period, Some obviously a lot of people did continue employment if they were working online or if they were digitally enabled, if they could somehow do something to earn a living using their computers. And clearly uh, education impacts there. Neil, do you think there was a sort of uh, a a kind of a survivors group within that cohort who who managed to keep their employment picture moving forward because they were able to work online? And, um, and, And, you know, was that significant? Certainly there was a big increase in uh, young people seeking work online, young crowd workers and this type of people doing online work. Actually, however, the the demand for this type of work, because there was an economic shock and there was less demand for firms' products, there was actually a fall in the demand for such labour. So yes, there was an increase in the supply of young people seeking to do this kind of work, and to some extent they were able to to get it. But in as much as there wasn't uh, quite during the height of the crisis, if you like, in the in the in the first half of 2020 or the second quarter of 2020, uh, actually the the demand for these type of online work decreased. At the same time, in as much as employment, which had been formerly offline production and service work, went online as much as was possible. There was a big shift to towards online working online, also for people who had previously been working offline. So teleworking became the norm for a lot of people. It did change. I started working from home and then uh, after coming back from COVID, we went to uh, hybrid uh, options and I'm still doing it because why not? It's kind of fun to walk in uh, your pyjamas. And a lot of it is still there now, even as things get better. That brings us um, to a myth, a public myth, or, or maybe it isn't a myth, that people who are under 30 are much more digitally enabled. They're much more capable of working with technology and with platforms and all that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, those of us who are a bit older, the digital dinosaurs are still struggling to master the finer points. But is that true? Um, 
or is it just that people have just left, younger people have just left education? Uh, they've been working with technologies and uh, new platforms, which are cutting edge, and that's part of their education. And um, just talk to us a little bit about that, Neil. Um, to what extent are young people really more able to work online? Well, this is certainly true. We've done some analysis of of crowd workers, young and old. First of all, people doing online tasks, doing this kind of very uh, small task-based employment uh, job, so-called crowd work, through digital labour platforms, they are mainly young people. They tend to be relatively young. And uh, there's a reason for that, because young people actually earn higher wage rates than older people on in these kind of tasks. And the reason they do that is that they learn, there's a much faster learning curve for young people. And you can see that actually in the data, that they, that young people, young people's wage rates increase much faster with experience on these kind of tasks than do older workers. Now, that's quite a specific niche type of employment but at the same time it does show that really it is true that young people are more let's say quicker to learn this kind of specific task kind of like negatively impacts is my uh, working relationships with my colleagues because I don't get to meet them face to face and build like a network sort of thing so that's the only thing that was um, being hindered versus uh, I love work from home it was the best <laughs> now I'm sad that I have to go back to office <laughs> Yes, um, it's a strange world for a young person uh, entering the workforce who's probably done two years of lessons at school or university online, and then they enter a workforce where uh, a lot of people are still online, even though the original reason for that is less apparent. Uh, And in the recovery phase now, there are newspaper headlines telling us employment rates are the highest they've ever been. But it hasn't been an easy journey for some of the groups in our, of our young people. If we observe the trends of uh, three groups uh, of young people, those uh, with high levels of education, with those with medium level of education, low level of education, we see that those with a high level of education have recovered their pre-pandemic values of employment rates. While uh, for the young people, both men and women with low educational uh, rates, they are very slow in recovering. They have a lot of problems and they are still beyond reaching their pre-pandemic employment rates. We're nearly coming to our uh, close here, but I just want to unpack another bit of myth or mythologizing around young people. And Anna, I'm going to come to you. Maybe you could um, give us a little bit of not just the stats, but also your reading of them. There is some sort of general belief that the flexibility that young people have means that they are able to adapt to a kind of changing labour market more. They have fewer family responsibilities. They can work atypical hours, move more quickly to where the work is, um, more able to adapt to digital technology, the gig economy and so on. Because they have this ease of moving around the needs of different employers, it makes them more resilient. What is your own impression of that uh, general perception? We can also define young people as more creative uh, compared uh, to uh, older generations. And this is, um, let's say, they they dream more and they dream of a future life. And so this is a personal 
thoughts, but I think it is uh, shared by other people because, yes, um, they are more creative and they look uh, for different uh, perspectives and possibilities, surely. Yes, Neil, I mean, is that a, is that a, f- a fair comment that um, about having to be more agile, they become more supple and resilient uh, and, and, and young people just simply have just, uh, uh, they're not only more employable, perhaps, they're more resilient to setbacks. What we've seen during the pandemic, in fact, as, uh, as I mentioned, is this sharp increase in depression amongst young people and the sharp increase in the, the sense of social exclusion amongst young people, which was not typical of the past in the sense that it's affected young people much more. So for some young people, it's it's a godsend. The flexibility and so on is great. If you're able to manage that and able to navigate it, that's fine. But not not everybody is uh, personality-wise adapted. If you're insecure in your employment and you might be insecure about all kinds of other aspects of life and making big decisions about settling down, getting married, having a family and so on. So you will defer those those big commitments, those big decisions in life, because you don't know how much money you'll have in six months' time or whether you'll have um, a job or whether you'll have your status will be taken away because you haven't got a job. Are we seeing an insecure cohort of people who simply can't get their lives started, Neil? Yeah, I mean, this is actually, I mean, and it's a very practical question, one seeing this, because uh, in order, for example, if I want to buy a house, I need to get a mortgage. How do I get a mortgage? Well, I need to have some some kind of security. In order to have some security, if I have long-term employment, that gives the bank some reassurance that I'm going to be earning enough money to pay back the mortgage. If I have gig work or I'm working as a as a delivery person with, with no fixed contract end or, you know, I have these kind of flexible, who on earth is going to lend me any money? Um, I think looking at the economy, especially with things like houses, uh, housing prices, rates of pay, um, I think it's okay to be on a, on a lower wage when you're in the 1970s or 1960s when everything was a lot more affordable and a lot more equal. Um, I think now uh, the younger generation, especially millennials and Generation Z, have it a lot harder um, than the older generations. And I just don't think that they're quite up to scratch of understanding how difficult that actually is. Okay, well, let's just come to some a few kind of closing thoughts, which is a bit like the uh, opposite end of the, or the mirror of the opening icebreaker question. You, you told us a bit about your first jobs. Um, what advice would you give to a young person starting out in their employment path? Anna, I'm going to come to you <laughs> first. What advice would you give to a young person starting out today? The more uh, job search uh, you do and the more possibilities you will have in finding a job. So that's my suggestion. That's realistic. Yeah, well, I would I would agree first with, with Anna. I think it's good. It's important not to get too discouraged. Nowadays, one needs to do a lot of applications. One needs to, to, to keep trying because there are, there are lots of opportunities out there. It's likely one's going to have to go through a longish process in order to get one's foot on the ladder, as it were. The other side of things, I would say that what we've seen, particularly, I mean, it was true before the pandemic, but it's been emphasised by the pandemic, is that education counts. Education is very, very important. So I would encourage people to get aspire to a decent, good level of educational attainment. That really makes such a big difference in the labour market. Yes, I ask in my social network in my um, on Facebook for people to tell me what their advice would be and um, it just shows what sort of uh, boring friends I have one said make sure you start a company pension scheme as soon as you can um, which I thought was uh, was well I suppose it's useful and another one said um, don't be frightened of job interviews it's just a meeting 
So <laughs> I suppose that's kind of like helpful uh, to an extent. I'm afraid that's, well, I suppose it's uh, the old saying, you should try and um, uh, work to live, not to live to work. Maybe that's, a, it's a corny old uh, saying, but it's uh, sometimes the corny old ones are the best. Well, that about wraps it up for Stats in a Wrap today. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to share with friends and colleagues where it can be found on Spotify, Apple, Google, and all the usual places. And of course, join us next month when we'll be dishing up more flavoursome insights from Eurostat, this time about the mysterious quirks and oddities of inflation, rising prices, rising wages, rising interest rates, and what the numbers are telling us on this very, very topical subject. That's it for now. Join us next time. Bye for now. Stats and a wrap.